0: I'm just going to turn it on in case we say something funny. I'm prepared.
1: Exactly. What are you
0: making for dinner tonight, Jerry? Parmesan. I haven't started drinking yet. Maybe I just
1: later. made, I just made mine.
0: both arms now,
1: so.
2: I haven't had a drink yet, so I'm not going to do it. getting oh, old, wear and tear. Ooh. Wow. Parmesan. Go ahead. Well, let's kick it off.
1: Welcome to Career Crossroads Uncorked, a series of member chats inspired by good drinks and current talent acquisition trends. Your hosts, Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin break down today's recruiting headlines while reviewing a select beverage of choice with industry leaders and influencers. Join us for a drink in conversation. Well, uh,
2: welcome to another edition of Uncorked. I am Chris Hoyt with CXR. I've got Jerry Crispin on, of course. Jerry, say Hello. Hello. And today's guest is Brett Coyne of Okta. Brett, how are you?
1: Good. How are you two doing? Good to see you. Doing well. Feel good.
2: Fabulous. Feel good. So before we jump in, talk a little bit about you and what you got on your mind. What What was the drink of choice for today's Uncorked, Brett?
1: Uh, the drink of choice today is what's called a California sidecar. Now, I, I didn't know what this was until I moved to the San Jose area and there was a little restaurant up the street. Um, and they had this drink on the menu, and I, I like whiskey, and it's a whiskey base, and it was one of the best drinks I've ever had. And so I try to make them, but boy, I can't make them like they can. But I, I do my best.
2: All right. good stuff. That's good. Okay, right. so we're gonna start making it, right okay. now. You've got a head start on us. So you can walk us. Through, you can walk us through your recipe, and then Jerry and I will try to recreate it on our end.
1: All right. Sounds good. All right, so I'm going off memory here because I don't have my stuff in front of you, but I'd say maybe, um, do you you have a mixer? with you have ice and a shaker? Perfect. So I would do about two, maybe three generous uh, count of the whiskey. That's first, depending on what kind of Friday you're looking to have. And then you got um, one shot of Grand Marnier and one shot of... um, Why am I blanking? No, that was it. No, no, there's another one. It's the... um, Oh my gosh! I always throw a shot of um, maybe I went off my own recipe script that the California Sidecar at the restaurant gave me. I always throw in a shot of Serono.
0: I think that adds a good touch. I yeah, don't, the, I don't. I don't have because it wasn't on that list.
1: Uh, well, that list was right off their. That list was right on their website, so I, I must have added that myself. Um, but yeah, then some orange bitters, and then if you really want to do it right, but this isn't easy to do. Um, they always put like
0: a brown sugar rim on there what i've got i've got a oh. brown sugar rim on a frozen perfect martini
1: yeah How that works works uh i like a little extra just because it kind of takes the edge off but you know whatever you're comfortable with okay. and then you know what's really interesting when you go there when they pour the grand Marnier on at the end they light it on fire and it just does a quick and it's just wow. a show i think now don't be doing that they not light no. anything on fire and then they Delicious. usually put a twist in there of like a lemon twist. I didn't do that today, but you
2: know. All right. I got a little, yeah. this is my fancy lemon. Yeah.
0: Like, uh, shake it up really good. You want it really cold. I did a whole, I did a fresh lemon in mine. All right. Perfect. And then we're shaking it with ice.
1: Yeah. Shake it real hard. Get it nice and cold and then strain it. I, I actually like it on the rocks, but you know, I've had them, the way they, the way Jerry has it is what they actually do in the restaurant. Right in a martini glass yeah, if you're not a whiskey drinker it can be a little strong that's why but i like it um i do like when it's just i like it really cold
0: well i bought a better whiskey so that it would be a little bit <laughs> yeah a little less strong all right well cheers gentlemen all right that is delicious yeah it's really good with the sugar
2: oh man that is good and what is it called again a, a what
1: they call it a California sidecar. I think it's their own spin on the old-fashioned sidecar. Yeah,
2: that's pretty good. I didn't do the brown sugar rim. I was feeling pretty lazy, but that's pretty delicious.
1: Yeah, it's a good one.
2: Good stuff. so stuff. Very nice. Brett, what have you been up to? What's going on?
1: Oh, surviving. I mean, I think the thing I is like I keep saying to people: Life is back." You know, um, I know it's not a hundred percent back, but it's almost there, and so you know, I feel like for the past year, like company I work for has been growing like crazy. And so that's, that's a a big part of the day and the weekends and, you know, just just whatever. But, um, you know, you knew when Friday was over, it's pretty, pretty easy. There wasn't much going on and I kind of got used to it and I I frankly enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed like no expectations. I mean, not that it was a good situation for the kids or, you know, um, but now everything's back. I mean, school was back this spring. Weekends are busy with activities, flag football and basketball and cheerleading and friends can fortunately get together again if they choose to, um, outdoor dining, indoor dining in some places. And, and so it's kind of, the question is what have you been up to? Like everything all of a sudden is really what I'm feeling. Yeah.
2: Playing catch up for all the activities.
1: Yeah, there has been all this pent-up demand, and everyone wants to do things. I, I think my wife and I were looking the other day. I mean, the whole summer. I think we. I think. I think we. She said to me because I don't get involved. I just said, "Tell me where to be, right?" I think there's only two weekends where either people aren't visiting or we're not going somewhere. Okay. So, Good. yeah, it's busy.
2: It's the first time uh, I went to get a haircut. It's one of the first times I've gotten a haircut as things are starting to sort of cool off. And the sign out front didn't say mask mandatory; it said mask recommended. Oh, a little little bit of a change in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It is nice getting a haircut. I went about six months and it was like kind of the Seinfeld episode where they kind of tried to see how far they could go on an empty tank of gas. The Gas light came on. He's like, I'm going to keep going. They kept passing it every time I thought I was going to get a haircut. I'm like, one more week, one more week. And I mean, I had not had my hair that long. I've discovered how to get
0: my own.
2: Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. How about, uh, how about for work? I mean, you guys, like, I, I would assume you're like everybody else, things are yeah. on fire, on fire uh, going a little crazy, trying to retain employees while attracting new ones, same challenges. Everybody else has had. Uh,
1: yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, I belong to a pretty good tight knit group of TA leaders here in California. And, and we talk a lot and everyone it's, it's, it's so ironic how everyone has the exact same situation playing out. Yeah. Everyone. It is exactly that. And I read something the other day that said um, some survey was put out. It was either 40 or 45% of all people are going to make a move in the next year just because,
2: (laughs) like, because they couldn't,
1: right? Which I don't understand because at least in the tech industry, we haven't had any problem like hiring through COVID. So, um, but I guess just the broader, you know, I I know, I know maybe tech didn't get get hit as hard, but 45% of all people, imagine if that really plays out, are just going to make a move in the next 12 months.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, we saw some uh, survey uh, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, where it said healthcare professionals, uh, 80%, I think in the 80% of nurses said that they were either going to quit altogether as, as before the end of the year, or they were willing to change jobs for as little as a dollar more an hour. Like that's just how frustrated or tired or in need of something different.
1: they were. Well, I never thought that this would be a big business, but I think it could be now is if you started a recruiting agency to hire for restaurants restaurants can't staff. Uh, They can't staff for the first time ever, right? They were so dependent on a certain group of people, either people who were in that business because they loved it for life or people who were between jobs or college or, you know, and I I read something else that said there was a large percentage of people and they gave all these specific examples. People who actually gave quotes to the article It said, Hey, I was dependent on this industry for 15 years. It went away for so long. I actually had to go get trained to do something else. So they're never coming back. So that proportion of the workforce that were bartenders, servers, hostesses, hostess, what uh, restaurant managers, they're just not coming back because they had to go out of necessity, find something else. And now the restaurant industry is saying, we don't have enough people. So they got a big recruiting challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, what a
2: tough place to be in when you literally, you have given all of this time and all of this energy to an industry that all of a sudden made you feel incredibly dispensable. Yeah. Like you're just out.
1: Yeah, I, I did it for four years, so I'm empathetic. I mean, I, I've washed dishes and waited tables and bartended. and it's... Every
2: recruiting person did some sort of yeah. hospitality or food services. Something game. like that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I was on uh, a meeting earlier this week with um, actually the Sherm State Council, and the entire area in South Jersey and at the Jersey Shore is going nuts because they cannot find workers willing to come back yeah just and and I'm sure that a lot of it is exactly that they learned how to get into something else that's going to give them a little bit better money yeah um, or they're just they're just upset because you know they've been furloughed they lost a lot they're underwater they're getting some money from unemployment at least for a while and they need the time to have the second or third gig. Where they can get the money under under the table, whatever, so they can get back to even.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you're talking about a, um, a, a primarily tip dependent, right? Type type of work uh, that, and we just we just had a call not too long ago we were talking about this, where they are making more money right now with the assistance and unemployment uh, than they would if they went back to work and had to put their kids back in some sort of daycare or had to manage, you know, all of the other things that have to get taken care of when they're when they're actually in the workplace. And so now they're just kind of biding the time, uh, some of them until the restaurants get, you know, really ramped up, maybe tips come back to some degree uh,
0: and the work picks back up. And I, I just, I don't have any idea when that might be. Crazy, but even even in, so so Brett, in terms of, you said the ability for Okta to find and and attract folks um, still is pretty strong a lot of others, your peers in a lot of other parts of Silicon Valley are saying it's the toughest time they have finding uh-huh. IT in their in their lifetime. I, I don't agree that it's not as competitive as ever.
1: Um, I think I'm in a good place, right? So, I mean, every day the, the, the federal government comes out and talks about all these hackings. Yeah, <laughs> Cybersecurity is at the top of everybody's mind. Identity, which is the real core of Okta's product, is really at the forefront of security. It's not just, can you put a perimeter around your employees? It's like, who the heck's logging in, right? Um, so, yeah, it's just, um, and we've also taken advantage of some things. You know, you know, I've been, I was just talking to somebody, I was interviewing somebody today for a role on my team, and I was asking about their company's position on getting back to work and what that looks like. And I think in the past week, Amazon's come out and said, hey, three, you know, the people. The, it looks like some of these companies are just designing things that I think they're going to change in six months. Like, well, you have to come in three days a week and then four weeks a year, you can work from anywhere else. I mean, we're just, just making it up. Um, some other companies come out and said two days a week, you have to be there. And then there's a lot of talk of they're going to see an employee exodus because people are so used to having their freedom and their, and their choice and flexibility. And Okta came out. I mean, I give the company credit. They, they came out a long time ago and said it's about employee choice first and we'll build workplace and, you know, in, reinvest to support that. And it's it's aligns with the company's mission, which is enable any company to use any technology, right? It's the integration hub of, you know, I can log in one time and use 10,000 different applications. So if that's the case, why can't you work from anywhere, right? Well, and, 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 yeah.
2: And, but, but there's also an interesting, we had this talk this morning but the, uh, oh, the, yeah. the topic came up too. And there is a theory uh, also that, Organizations have so much more flexibility uh, and a little more transparency when they don't have this insane investment in a physical footprint, right? From a property standpoint, right? You got a building or two, that's one thing, it's easier to let people work remote. You have a campus, mm-hmm. you have a very different investment in using the real estate. Uh, or if you are so big, uh, like, some, like one or two companies where the city's infrastructure gets upgraded around you, Right. Because of what you contribute to that from a footprint standpoint, you, a lot of people are sort of conspiring that the C-suite is saying you've got to come back to work because it's good for our culture or you've got to come back to work. Right. Because you're missing productivity. And that's maybe not really the case. That's not really why they need them to come back. As somebody told me recently, the real
0: estate investment trusts are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's but, true. Yeah. But I. I am convinced that having been given a taste, for a lot of people, having been given a taste for being accountable for whether you come in or don't come in and that kind of stuff, I'm convinced that that's an addictive piece to employees for the future and that they want to have the option of being able to determine um, where they work and and are more than willing to be held accountable for the results of work, yeah. but it's, it's their ability to negotiate or engage with their, their manager. Hey, you know, this is what I need to do in order to, you know, deal with my life right now. And everybody is in a different kind of position. And I think we need to upskill managers to be able to help employees make good decisions that affect their lives as well as the performance of the company. So it's a balance. It's not as easy as in the past where you have to come in nine to five, and maybe if you if you need some help, we'll give you permission to go away for a while. But yeah. now, now it's it's my job as an employee to figure out what's best for me and to work with my manager to help accommodate that so that we get the job done. So yeah.
2: You're you're pretty dialed in in the valley. Been there a little while. You know a lot of folks. Without naming names, unless you want to name names, have you seen somebody do it, like starting to come out of this and is positioned really really well, or is a train wreck? Do you have one? Do you, do you have an example of what's going on where you feel like, oh my god, that is the worst way I would have done it, or oh man, we could model something after this?
0: Do you mean the philosophy around, like how they're modeling?
2: Yeah. Yeah. the remote. Yeah. And
0: come back. And while you and while you think about that, I want to tell you that the brown sugar on the rim is really cool. Right. It makes
1: a whole difference. It really does. But I just got to go back to the drink, right? <laughs> so I, I will tell you, like, when we, what I was kind of saying prior was that I do like one of the reasons I think we've been successful is that we have shifted the mindsets. You know, we when I first got here a couple years ago, we we had to basically hire primarily in all these locations where there are offices, and and what we are doing is. We're just competing against all the other big tech names because everybody's in Toronto and Seattle and the Bay Area, right? And so on and so forth. Now, there's enterprise or there's go-to-market roles that are territory-based, right? But again, everybody's hiring a sales rep in Detroit and Phoenix and London and Paris, right? But for all the non-territory-based roles, we've now been given the freedom to not hire anywhere. You have to have an entity, you have to have taxation, you have to, right? But, you know, we're suddenly hiring in all 50 states. We're doing a lot of hiring in Canada um, and it's opened up our total addressable market. And we can go make a build a brand and we can you know hire in locations that we couldn't before, which is I think really helping us maintain our level of hiring in what's an incredibly competitive market. Um, so I don't want to discount the fact that it is incredibly competitive. I don't want to discount the fact that we have our own challenges, right? But I haven't seen it hit the top of the funnel yet. At 90-10 rule, 80-20, right? There's always roles you're like, oh my gosh, we don't have enough candidates. But for the most part, we've been our hiring numbers have been taken up three, four consecutive quarters, and we've been able to maintain it now. Who knows in two quarters if everything starts to get tighter, right? That could be happening and I think that will happen. Um, But the other thing that's been fascinating is all of our key recruiting KPIs have trended in a positive direction over the past year. So going to virtual interviews, 100% remote work, our offer separates up, our speed is down, our interview to hire ratio stayed the same. So no no difference in efficiency. Uh, Our candidate experience has gone up big time and our hiring manager survey scores have gone up. Right. So I don't know if I hope you're
0: gonna compete with the Candy Experience Awards. That's so what we
1: do one. We we do need to get involved. We had um, I don't know why I'm blanking his name, um, talent board uh, Kevin.
0: Talent board. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna feed Kevin Grossman. So Kevin came and spoke with my team last year. Then you so, owe him. I know. You I know you need to participate.
1: Well, when we all ran into each other at the Smart Recruiters conference right before things shut down, yeah. I talked to Kevin and I said, "Look, you know, Okta's not there yet, but we need to get them there. So, why don't you come talk to my team so they realize there's a whole, you know, governing body out there and all, right. And so after that, we put a ton of work into it because we were measuring it through our ATS survey, um, and we were in the negative in a lot of areas. And in 12 months, by you know, number of things we did and implemented quickly, we got it to a plus 24. And this year we're trending to a plus right now we're running at a plus 36 year date. So just incredible,
0: incredible swing. That's you need to test that against, against that, because I'll tell you the, the advantage is getting on that list of the top 50 Mm -hmm. is a, is a pretty good deal. And if you're at 36 NPS score and you're doing it similar to the, what we do that, that would be well within the range. Yeah. Well, and you know what the, the best part
1: is, is our offer accept rate. Like we talked to the team about, as you take can experience up, your offer accept rate goes up. Our offer accept rate in Q1 of last fiscal year, right? So basically you know, February to April, it just passed was our Q1 of this year. Prior year, our offer accept rate aggregate was 70%. This past Q1 was 86%. So as NPS right. went from like a, a, a flat to negative, basically, because um, you know some teams were a little, little above zero. Most teams are below as we took that up in the well into the positive, our offer accept rate followed it, which was just right. a really cool experiment. And complete. you are
0: you are addressing not only those that you hire or those who reach the final f- four or five, but but really everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's important for people to notice because we a lot of people it, yeah. tell me they've got, oh we have NPS scores of 90. And I'm going, yeah, who who are you surveying? The, obviously the ones that we hire. No, we survey everybody.
1: Um, yeah, we survey everybody. What, what I want to start surveying I now is, is internal employees because their experience is not as good. So I want to work. try to fix that this year and then survey them. But Chris, I don't know how we got sidetracked. You asked a question about who does it well. Like, I know this is like off the drink in the company, but I think we do it incredibly well. Like our head of workplace is very innovative. He came from LinkedIn. He's been talking about this dynamic work for four years. And and I think we're there. And, and when you said like, who maybe isn't, I don't know yet because we're not back. But what I'm starting to see in here is it does feel like some of the big companies with really large real estate footprints. I, I really think they're going to miss out on this um, where like, so, so we have 14 floors in a, in a high rise in San Francisco, directly pressured from Salesforce. I can't imagine it's cheap rent. Um, right. it, but the, the mindset was, hey, it's not like we're going to go and double the amount of floors. We're going to continue to grow our Silicon Valley employee base. Yeah. Maybe we're not going to double the amount of floors. Maybe we're not going to grow them at all, but we're going to rework the office space to work for people who choose to come in sometimes. And, and what I'm excited about this whole thing is, I think you brought up a great point about it puts a lot of burden, not burden, that's the wrong word. It, it's going to challenge managers of the future to think differently. Right. And what's important to the employee, but companies, what is the, like our head of workplace said like, well, you know, we have a demand problem getting people back to the office. And then it's like, well, what are you going to do to get them back? Right. And so I think things are going to change around the value proposition of employees and contractors. If you want them to get, some people just want to get back. Like personally, I want to go two days. I want to go two days a week. I miss it. Sure. But I don't want anybody to tell me I have to be there five. Right. I think oh, that's the biggest change.
0: Right. If they told you you had to do it four days, you'd go, eh, I don't think that's the right decision. I want to be able to make the decision. Yeah. Well, and the hard thing with that is it's usually what I'm hoping doesn't happen is
1: sometimes the big, the big, you know, we all know who these big companies are in tech. They usually set, they usually set the, the path for everyone else. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think I these other. You.
2: You're, yeah. I, think you're right, right. I talked to two and they said point blank off the record they don't want to be the first ones to say, "Here's what we're doing." They want to very quietly roll out some informal, you know, uh, you know, uh, hybrid environments, telling people we're we're evaluating as we go. They do not want to be the trendsetters for this because you know, know where it's
1: real challenging is compensation. right We right. have like I think one of the fun parts being like I you knew where I worked prior very pretty big company. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just move faster and do things in a smaller company. We're almost four thousand people now, but it's agility is a mindset right and like some companies haven't some don't but like we've rethought our compensation approach already two or three times just in the past 12 15 months because like what you think is the right way to go when some of the big companies aren't setting the course and saying hey this is what we're doing if you don't do it you can't compete with us is you have to be nimble and flexible and the big debate now is do you comp i'll just use the us because it's too hard to talk about this on a global scale right now, but like in the US, do you comp everybody Silicon Valley wages regardless of where they live? Or do you tier it and you pay local labor? But then some companies are saying, well, if you already work for us in an expensive market and you choose to move, we will keep your comp the same. But then I think where you run into the challenges and you're going to hire the same type of skill and level and profile in the same market and have a big disparity. So, well, But don't
2: forget too, they, they're getting capped on the increase, their merit increases get capped. The bonus, their comp sort of shifts a little bit, right? Because you're yeah. going to be at the top of a band in another market, and we're trying to figure out how they how they sort of jigger
0: that. It's it's obviously a nuanced and complex yeah. set of questions, but I think the philosophy of how you approach compensation ought to be that the that the job has a mar- has a real value to the corporations, any corporation, regardless of where the person is located that value might be X, whatever X is and how you determine that is going to be the challenge. But then you need to be able to decide that you could put a temporary subsidy on X for those that are required to be in Silicon Valley. And you could, and and on that basis though, at the minimum, anyone in the world would be able to at least get X. Now that gives some people in some very low cost areas of the world more possible wealth than they would have obtained otherwise because of a local price value that where they might have taken that job. But honestly, the kind of fairness and attractiveness that that will demonstrate to people on a global basis will attract the very best and brightest in the world. You will have no problem from a competition point of view. And if you, di- if you did give them the lowest possible value they would accept, who gets the margin? Who gets the profit from that? Well, you know what? It's, <laughs> it's the CEO of a corporation whose bonus question. is improved because on the backs of the people that he's taking the money from. Or she, or she, <laughs> absolutely, or they, or but they. Uh, but the value add um, is that is that a company that demonstrates that they're willing to pay workers on a global basis a fair market value for the value of the job first, and then adjust based on that, I think will be a winner in the future.
2: It, yeah, It will, it will be the, there will be the tech giants that drive how slow or how fast I think that gets adopted because a lot of people are looking to them.
1: Yeah. Thank well, you. I think like even companies like Radford have to completely rethink this, right? Because when you're in a role, like we've all held, you know, the challenge is like we, I agree with everything you're saying. And it's like, you you can philosophically try to figure out innovative ways to differentiate and win in all markets, but then you have to take that to the finance team. And then you have to get the total rewards team, right. Who wants to benchmark against Radford and then finance has to decide if we can afford to do it that way. Right. And if we're going to, if we're going to, like it's a Netflix model, right. I pay top of market for everybody, no matter where they are, but you know, in a world where let's say my company, they're saying work from anywhere, employee choice, the value of user recruiters, the value of a good recruiter doesn't change for me, whether they're living in St. Louis or New York or Seattle or Dallas, like right. But what, the what tradition says is, well, if you're in Dallas, you're gonna get, you know, 20% haircut, right? Um, or, or whatever, whatever the, the difference is between, you know, tier one and tier two and tier three markets. And I I don't know yet if I've decided what I agree with. Like I think, I think it's TBD and that the you know, the Aeons and the Radfords, they they got to rethink all this and help us figure out what the new benchmark is. Cause the benchmark isn't going to, I don't think it's gonna work.
2: I think there will be some there will be some rock stars that rise up and say they don't care, but we'll see if they can maintain that momentum.
0: I I want it's to- expensive. It's really
2: expensive. It is expensive. No, it's
0: no, it's not because that money goes to someone. It doesn't necessarily go to the individual who you know you're not paying the top dollar for. Um, but but it's gonna go to somebody at a higher level who's now making millions and he's making 800, he or she is making 800 or 900 <laughs> okay. times what the, what the lower level person is let's, you know, corporations that, that do what I say are, are going <laughs> to, are, are going to succeed. Let me ask you a question. Right. So, so labor is the highest cost in any company.
1: So if you choose to adopt that, it does, th- th- does it mean that the money is going to go to other people, or is now money not be able to be fueled in the programs and marketing and product and all? You know, so I think that's the balance I would ask is yeah, that's the, the highest the cost, price. right?
2: Yeah, you're so, right. Where does yeah. the money go? Does it, does
1: where does it the money does go? So it's if everybody gets like, let's say everybody gets New York and San Francisco wages worldwide. Yeah, you would. You would have 199.85 percent off. No, separate but
0: but the price <laughs> the price of that job isn't New York or San Francisco. It's a little bit less than that. And if you're in San Francisco because we need you there, you get, a, you get a subsidy for that. Got it, yeah. That's a difference. and But the value of that company or value of that job could then be publicized, but that there's an adjustment based on a variety of factors. Talk to us. I'm convinced that if you give me a fair wage, and I know it's a fair wage that everybody, that, is, that has to do with the value of that job, and I decide to go to um, Portugal <laughs> for the next year, because it's really cool from my perspective to live there and, and work on, on a team. I feel I'm making you know, a significant investment in my learning, I'm making a significant investment in in the opportunity to gain a little bit of wealth. And I would be dying to work for your company. Yeah. And I think you get the best and brightest that way.
2: Well, so best and brightest. Brett, I want to circle back. You you said performance of your team and and the experience your recruiters are delivering is is through the roof right now. It's, It's accelerated. They're rock stars. They're killing it. Do you think that that is in part due to what some are calling the Stanley Cup of recruiting that you have created? (laughs) Um, So that I'm glad you picked up on that. So, yeah, look, I've been
1: very surprised at what happens. I mean, look, you're only as good as your team. And I, you know, when we went into COVID, who knew how candidates were going to respond? I think I think people are just so adaptable, period. Right. And this is just another time where everybody adapted. But I, I am very surprised by um, you know how all of our KPIs improved. I just did. Like, and I, to be honest, like, yeah, we've done a lot of great work, but some of it I think is just luck, right? I, I really do. And you know, if you do it just a little better than everybody else, there's a lot of bad interview experiences. People say you're doing great, but I, I do think part that some of what we do is very intentional. What I mean by that is you, you mentioned the Stanley Cup, and that is exactly where the idea came from that I can't take credit for. Uh, a manager on our team named Lauren Hanley did, and. I thought it was one of the greatest ideas ever. We were talking about recognition. Every year the Glint survey goes out, and no matter what you do, the score for recognition never tends to be as high as you want it to be. And, and so we focused on, hey, we got to have a lot of fun, especially you know during COVID and everyone's at home. You can't interact. If people want to go in the office or not, who knows? But So we put a bunch of managers uh, on a project and said, go come up with some things. We, we do an annual recruiting kickoff and it is like a really fun day. We do... We set our priorities for the year. We we give about 40% of the team awards from the prior year. We do peer-to-peer recognition, leadership awards, KPI awards. It's it's a great fun, it's my favorite day of the year. But right. we thought like what you know, so we have that, then you have your annual performance cycle, merit, bonus, equity. Like, what can we do to keep this thing going all year round? Right. So we do a lot of little stuff that adds up. But we said we need something at least on a quarterly basis. And and uh yeah, I, I think I I really do believe this has something to do with it. So um do you want me to share what the cup is?
2: Yeah, I think you should so yeah. those who have not who have not seen this uh on LinkedIn or have not heard from any of your team members. Yet, as we have like maybe maybe give them sort of an overview of what this is.
1: Yeah, so so we we have um we have about eight things that defined our culture. And one is we succeed as individuals, but win as a team. The most important thing is to win as a team, because whether you fill three recs and Jerry fills 20 and I fill none, but the business needed 23, they're happy. They don't care who filled them and neither are the candidates. So how do we get everybody working together towards the common goal? And, you know, sometimes recruiters are like my rec, my candidate, and that, that doesn't help. And so what we decided was we needed something to really try to, Try to rally teams around common goals, and and it's okay to have individual awards. But how do we reward a team? And the idea was, every quarter, uh, managers can nominate their team, and you know, the things that we look at are, you know, did your team meet their quarterly numbers? Is your offer accept rate going up? Has your everything? We we all these KPIs. But the the fun part about this is there's KPIs don't tell the whole story. Um, You know, some teams overcame huge obstacles, dealt with leader change, had a bad quarter and came roaring back. They missed their number by a little bit, but it was taken up 30 percent. Right. And so the effort was valiant. So so it's a little bit of art and science. But if you're a manager at the end of the quarter and you decide your team should be nominated, you write up a nomination and you talk about all the reasons your team should win um, and then you submit it. And all the other managers get to read through them and then they vote in an anonymous survey. And so, um, not every manager puts their team up. Sometimes they just know we didn't, we didn't, we don't deserve it this quarter. Right. Um, but the first one we ever did was uh, last quarter. And so, you know, the the team that won was our, our uh, team in EMEA, but the idea is just like the Stanley cup is when you win, we have this huge trophy that has a cup at the top and on the plaque, it says, um, you know, uh, recruiting team award outstanding or outstanding team achievement uh, for the quarter. And what we do is we, when, we, when the winning team is announced, we take the cup and we actually ship it to the manager's home and they get to keep it for the quarter. Now they can ship it to their, all their employees and everybody gets to touch it and whatever they want to do. Like, cause that's the lure of the Stanley cup, right? It goes to everybody's houses and hopefully somebody puts maybe a beer in there and drinks out of it. I hope, but you know, the whole point is it's, it's about having fun and getting teams really focused on Um, winning as a team, but then, and then also like, there's an opportunity to win something really cool. It's bragging rights, but you actually get this massive cup. Um, And so Lauren shifted from Palm Springs where she lives to London and it showed up last week and our leader and Amia, or maybe it was Monday posted on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, the comments. And so I know it's working, but I'd love to take credit for that idea. It was not mine. It was Lauren's. And I think it's one of the best I've ever seen.
0: I love, I love the idea, but there's a couple of things that that you know i observed one is brett this wouldn't happen unless you listen to people who are in your group you obviously are having a lot of fun with what you're doing innovating and and kind of having the back of your people who have ideas and that's powerful you have the advantage of an extraordinary Um, type of company that does something that's very hot. Mm -hmm. So obviously it makes it easier for me as a recruiter working in your company to engage at least a little bit of attention to people who have those kinds of skills because they get that you are doing something special, but you still have to have an environment that attracts them. Right. So, It doesn't matter that, you know, I'm or it's only the part of that that engages me about your skills, knowledge and experience because you're doing the things that I want to aspire to do. Well, you also have to have a place that's going to nurture me, engage me and reward me. And it starts with obviously your your people. Um, in recruiting, they have to believe that that's true as well. And you, you made a point about, you know, um, getting involved in a, in defining the culture of recruiting that you want to be part of. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was really fascinating to me. That's one of the things that you mentioned you wanted to talk about. I'd like you to expound on a little bit more. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Because I, I do think that is a powerful, you know, upskilling of really of managers who are able to listen well and then execute around their teams to be able to create the kind of environment that they can work in. Yeah. No,
1: I, I really appreciate all that for sure. Like I, I'm very lucky. Like I, you, know, you don't know what you're getting into when you make a move. And the last company I was working for was a phenomenal company. Everybody knows that. Um, uh, you know, Okta was a 1500, 1600 employee company growing like crazy. And I, you know, I, I grabbed on and I'm on for the ride. But I, first and foremost, I mean, they believe in recruiting and the importance, and we get invested in. So you can't ask for much more when you're in a role like we've all been in, because that's not always the case. So, uh, and then the second thing is they, you know, like my boss, she, she lets me do what I need to do to create that environment. And I think we spend so much time at work. <laughs> you better have fun. If it's just about hitting numbers, like who, you know, that's only going to get you so far, but, but yeah, so we, um, you know, I I think, I think creating a culture when it's done very intentionally and everyone has a voice, I think that can lead to great things. And so, yeah, the recruiting cup, Chris, that is, that is one example of, you know, I think that was bred from a team that's very focused on, How do we just create the best environment possible? And I'm sure people on my team, some of them don't think it's the best environment they've ever worked for, right? There's always some, but, but we've had incredibly low attrition. I think my first full two years, we had two voluntary resignations Two. Wow. And our team went from 27 to 87. So that makes you feel good. Like, okay, we're getting a lot of things, right? It's never perfect. Right. But we, um, we did this exercise because we knew we were going to hire a ton of recruiters. And so Got the management team together and we said, hey, you know, Okta has its culture. The values guide the culture of the company. Every, every company has a culture and people can get a feel for that. They can read about it. Um, but when someone says, what's it like to work in recruiting? What, what do we say? And we got like 12 different answers. Right? <laughs> of course you did, because we haven't spent any time figuring out what does it mean to us. So at our offsite last fall, we actually pulled the team together. And I don't know if you guys have heard of the the, um, Miro board, M-I-R-O. So a Miro board is like an online place to go do brainstorming. And it's like virtual sticky notes. And the last company I worked for was a really big, I had a really big focus on product mindset and design thinking. So I got to fortunately go through a lot of training on that. By no means am I a leader in design thinking, but you can take the core principles and apply them to an exercise and get a good outcome. So said to the team, let's spend an hour on this. And so we got in the mirror board and we said, what are all the traits and characteristics that you would want people who might join our team in the future to think about our team, to make it exciting for them to join here. And I think what was the, you know, like basically we're trying to get to a place where Jerry, Jerry wants to come take a sourcing role for Okta. Um, And he asked four different people on the interview team, tell me what it's like to work there. Would we all say the same things? Not that we all should say the same things, but do we all feel the same way? Do we, are we excited to be here? Right? So we started capturing all these words. And then what you can do is you group them together. 20 people said excited. 10 people said, you know, we want to have fun. Five people said we want to execute. We came up with, and we narrowed it down to like the top seven or eight. And then we said, everybody feel good about this. And we said, yeah, these are the seven, eight, nine things that like we think people would want to join a a team that operated like this. And then the the question I asked is, but is this a place that you all want to work based on that? Mm. And we actually went back to the drawing board and we moved some things around again. And, And so it went from an exercise of how do we want to be perceived by partners and stakeholders or potential prospects to what's the kind of place we actually want to work in? And we have the opportunity to control this. So what are we doing? Right, And so I thought the, the really interesting surprise from this is we went from thinking about how we wanted people to see us to how we wanted to see ourselves. And if, if we have the opportunity here to create whatever we want, how do we want to define that for us? And it became this exercise where we rolled out, I have it in my hand, we, we actually created the Octa Recruiting Culture, and we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things that we say that if you're going to work here, or you do work here, or you work with us, this is, this is what we strive to be and it's become a really awesome tool It's pretty new about six months in but for coaching employees we share it externally with prospects hey if you're going to come work on this team like hey how what's it like to work here this is what you can expect this is the culture
0: do we have a copy of that sucker i i can send it to you for sure yeah
1: just saying yeah i'll send it over but it's been really fun because it's we, the biggest thing is we use it to hold each other accountable Right. And so it, it morphs from something we thought we set it out to be to something that it is. And now when people say, what's it like to work here?
0: We can say, well, here's what it's like to work here. If this isn't uh, the type of environment, is, this is a master you, class on something. I'm just saying.
2: Yeah. So the, new, the new teams that come in, the new folks that get to come in, obviously that's, they're walking right into that. They get a right. card as part of their pre-boarding onboarding saying, this is it.
0: This is who we are. also puts them on notice. If you're, if you're looking here to skate, You know, this is not going to work for you.
1: Yeah. And I'd say it's less about that, right? It's, I mean, if you're not going to perform, you're not going to perform anywhere. But I mean, it's more about just like, how do we want to behave and act and treat each other? And yeah, yeah. And and not everybody wants this and that's okay. But if you know up front, then just opt out in the interview process, right? I like that. But it's it's a pretty look, like I said, nothing's perfect. But this has been a really fun thing and it's gotten us to a place of I think it has bred a lot of these ideas because, you know, the whole we we succeed as individuals that win as a team. That was probably the baseline for creating the cup.
0: Well, I, I right. love it. Not only do I love it, Brett, but I think it's better than you think it is. <laughs> um, I think I think it forces a couple things to happen. One is, it does give some people the ability to say, "This is not my place. I, I really am looking for a wholly different kind of recruiting experience. But for those who believe that it is, it also puts the pressure on you for backing them on those principles. 100%. And that' and and that's that's something you bought into, that these are, these are the eight things that I will, I will have your back on. And that's yes. powerful. It's a big deal. Yeah, I, that is to... a very big deal for a lot of people who want to, you know, make a difference. Agreed. Um, and I'm convinced that if you can build that, I think you, you really are in a great position. You've obviously <laughs> had an, a great opportunity to take what you've learned in the past and and begin to seriously apply and execute that um, in in the areas that you're in now, and I think that's fabulous. Yeah, I, I thank you for saying that. I, I
1: just we've been doing this a long time, right? Maybe twenty five years for me. Yep. And it's there's so much more. I think too many teams or companies or leaders they don't focus on this aspect of the team, and yep. it's just about the numbers. And yes, it's always about the numbers, right? If I if don't hit the numbers, I'm going to hear about it. Don't get you know trust me. So. Um, But how do you how do you how do you build an infrastructure and team and to get to the numbers, but also, you know, the mindset and the behavior and the culture. Have a conversation
0: about the uh, the the way that the path that we got there. Yes. And I think you have built a really interesting set of possibilities there that um, I, I hope you're keeping a journal. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's all here right now. There's no, no time to write anything. No, you, I got to tell you, <laughs> keep a journal. You've already told me that you got a fricking book in, in what you've got to do. And at some point you're going to be too old to do this shit. So you, <laughs> you need to think about that kind of stuff downstream. Yeah.
1: The culture pieces. And it's, I think it's okay. Some people say, Hey, you can't have a sub. I think, I think that's, you got The subcultures happen everywhere, but how many people are intentional about them? And, you know, we started with the culture. here's the culture, the values. Now, how do we work within this framework? Cause you don't want to go rogue, right? Like you still have to fit within the company, but everything we do ladders up to those values and it all, it all, you know, look, it's early. So we'll see in a year from now, if, you know, hopefully we can keep this thing going. And, but, you know, we, we do a biweekly all hands and I took the opportunity in that all hands on Wednesday to mention two of our Octa recruiting culture character. Cause I said, Hey, you know, like, we win as, succeed as individuals, but we got to win as we're a little behind in the quarter. So trying to rally the team. But like, hey, you got to look to the left, look to the right, pick up your teammate, right? We got to get there. Um, and I forget the other one I used. Um, I think we always assume good intent because there's been, you know, when the pressure gets on, people tend to start doing this a little bit, right? And they said, hey, just take it, take temperature down. Like, it's okay. You know, we're going to get there, um, but it's not going to be easy. Don't start. Don't start turning on each other, right? It's help each
0: other out. I think that's great. So you've. Uh, so you've you've obviously made the the transition from Intuit to Okta, and you are you're fully in charge of of a really interesting set of approaches that are working for Okta right now. You asked the question about internal mobility as yeah. one of the one of the areas that you're getting involved in. I will tell you that. Um, that is one of the hottest areas going on right now. In part because internal mobility goes beyond TA and focuses in on the combination of TA and and and, and what you do for the building of people. Are you is you, is your company focused in on on those issues or what how we move people internally? So I would say
1: not yet. It, it caught us quickly. Like I, I will tell you this, like I saw it coming, right? But I, I also think as companies grow and evolve, you have to introduce the right things at the right time. So sure. internal mobility, a big program two years ago, I would have felt, you know, uh, we don't need it. But what I saw is organically last fiscal year, 18% of our recs got filled with internals. Now about half of that was promotions. And that's a whole nother conversation. Why are we using recs for promotions, right? Um but you know, net net, there's a higher percentage of people just organically saying, I've been here three years. I want to do something different. We don't want them to leave. If we could give them an opportunity here, we should, right? Um, so we're, we're just embarking on that and, and we put a cross-functional team together. And how I would describe it, like my boss knows it's important. She knows we're going to put a, put, a, put a cross-functional team. She said, it's not just TA. Um, and you know we're going to go out and benchmark. We're going to do empathy sessions with employees who went through and uh, hear their experience. We're gonna to talk to managers who lost or gained in their experience. You know, we're gonna get all this in one place. And then we're gonna come up with something that, you know, we hope works for Okta for the next 12 to 18 months and roll it out. And I, I think it's gonna be well received. So, you know, has it made it up to the CEO that he knows we're on this? Probably not yet. But you know, when we get, you know, hey, we're doing this, great. Come back when you have it 80% baked, right? We wanna go and maybe come back in three or four months and say, here's all the work we did, here's all the learnings. Here's our recommendation. Right, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, and we might fix it in 12 months. But I think the employees right now, I, I'm looking forward to maybe September, October. If I can roll this out to the company, to company all hands, I think a lot of employees are going to go. It's about time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's something I'm, that touches everyone. It touches everyone. It does, and and obviously from a talent acquisition point of view, if if somebody leaves that that hiring manager or that manager of that person would regret, like uh, it's a loss to the company that that person left us, then each of those becomes a set of issues that makes it more difficult for the hiring, talent acquisition, to be able to replace them. So the extent to which employees can look at and see the opportunities for internal movement and or promotion at over time has an enormous impact on talent acquisition long-term. So I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that a proactive, you know, buy build kind of strategy is critical for corporations. Yeah, and if you can another... contribute to that, I think it's I think it's really outstanding. There's a so i'm I'm leading a set of judges to look at that this fall or this actually this summer um and and hopefully we'll see some case studies of companies that are doing some really interesting things with the idea that we can share them publicly to everyone. Yeah And so I know this is an important issue for you. And what I hope is that we can figure out ways that we can find our members who are doing really good things that can share case studies, as well as um, bringing in other ideas that come from outside. Yeah,
1: it feels like an area that needs a lot of innovation. Yeah. But, you know, what I'm hoping is we're, you know, look, we're getting big fast. We just made a pretty big acquisition and, and we're going to be 5,000 people. I mean, two years ago, it was 1,600 people when I got here five 5,000 in January. That's crazy. Um, but, you know, now's the time to do it. When you get 10, 15, it's just so hard to roll out programs. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I, I'm excited about, um, I, I also think this whole idea of virtual, non is going to play into internal mobility, you know, and there's going to be. Biases and I, so I, I think it needs
2: a lot of innovation, but we'll see. Let's see where well, it you goes. Are, you are in the sweet spot for everything uh, everybody's going through right now. Brett, thank you so much uh, for the drinks. Zuh, I, I had a refill. I think Jerry had a refill. I wasn't watching you too closely. I was watching my own glass, but uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I really like catching up with you. It's good. I, I can't wait to see you in person. I miss I it.
1: Well, we we can make that happen. I think I think we're both in the Bay Area now, so we should talk.
2: I'm not in the Bay Area anymore. Oh.
1: <laughs> I
2: am behind on all the news. He, he's now in Austin. I'm behind on all the news. <laughs> I've gone from Silicon Valley to Silicon Hills. So I'll, I'll be I'll be in Austin now.
1: I think the last time we talked, you were in San Jose. So that was, that was a while ago. Only,
2: only as of a week ago. I literally just got here Sundays. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You have to, you have to fill me in. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Brett, thanks so much, man. Yeah. You're awesome. Thanks
1: so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Crossroads Uncorked. Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin look forward to sharing more drinks and conversation with you next time. Until then, cheers.